Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one best-selling book, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Then call my office at 662-844-1414 and order my new book, The Code Breaker. What is up on a Wednesday? I'm Brian Scott Riffey. My co-conspirator, as always, is Michael Borky. We appreciate you hanging out with us on this Wednesday, April 22nd edition of the Rebel Report podcast. I uh, I pretty much just added two to 420, so that's how I found the date so quickly today. Um, <laughs> we uh, <laughs> Football-centric uh. show today. Some football skill position news at both levels. Uh, first here at home with Ole Miss signing another four-star wide receiver. We will get to that. Their second wide receiver signing in a week, pretty much. Neither one of them from the state of Mississippi. And then on the flip side of things, uh, you have Gronk, or on the professional side of things, I guess I should say, you have Rob Gronkowski signing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Brady is getting the band back together for one last ride, I guess. I couldn't really envision Gronk playing past another year, and then we'll just kind of see what else we get to. Uh, What's up? Not a whole lot, man. Just uh, another day in Bill Murray's crazy, messed up Groundhog Day world, man. Yeah, like, I know really what day is. of the week it is. I'm not going to pretend like, oh, is it Wednesday? I have no idea. I know it's Wednesday, but damn, it doesn't feel like it's Wednesday. No, it really, uh, it really doesn't. Like it's, uh, like obviously most of the, like I, honestly, there. Ha- I swear, I, all joking aside, there have been a couple times, like through all of this last four weeks, I've been like. Wait, is it Wednesday or Thursday? Like, I, I that kind of thing. Like, I, I kind of generally <laughs> know where we are in the week, but uh, not always a hundred percent positive. I've had a couple of times where it took me like five minutes back. No, 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 it's it's Thursday. Uh, right. And honestly, yeah. doing this podcast is uh, really what's <laughs> what's kept me straight on that more so than just about anything else. But uh, yeah, I just, I mean, I say we say it over and over again. Groundhog Day. I mean, I mean, it. it I mean, it's accurate. Yeah, I mean, that's it's pretty much what this is. So it's just such a unique time in sports too, because we have the draft tomorrow. I mean, that that is literally tomorrow, and then two weeks, or is it three weeks? I know it's May 9th, However long that is, the NFL is going to release their schedule. So, and it's going to be released in under the assumption that they start in September, and I think they're going to start in September. I don't think the NFL's moving shit, even if like it's not exactly safe. For them to do it, I think they're starting in September because they know they're too big to fail. That's just my opinion. Either way, we have the draft coming up tomorrow, the NFL schedule release coming up, and yet people still have no idea whether these things will happen. It's so weird because we're going to talk about it, as we should, as if the season's happening as usual. Like, yeah, when the schedule release comes out, I'm going to sit down with the, a group of buddies, even though we won't be able to sit together. We'll just be in a group message analyzing the Saints' schedule. Like, hey, we should go to this game or this game. And, like, we'll start planning trips even and talk about what the record should be and all that stuff. And we're going to do all this as if it's all happening when we have no idea if it's going to. It's so weird. Yeah, I mean, you're preaching to the choir on that one. I'll kind of do the same thing. Although, at least, like, like to me, the schedule release, you can actually get, like, some actual decent – like substantive content out of it because the good thing about the schedule is you go through and you can just kind of predict wins and losses. And like, it's hard to do like hot take, like there's no like stale debates and like the schedule releases cause it's new 
and like it's interesting and like everyone gets excited about that because it's like the ultimate hypothetical you get the whole season laid out like you do the wins and losses i don't know that's just one of the off-season things from uh like i I like turning like the i hate the debate shows like nfl live during the off-season doesn't do a ton for me i think it's informative but it gets kind of boring but one of the things i do enjoy is when they do the like go through and predict every team's win loss because I mean, most of the time you can either agree or just outrageously disagree. So we will uh, we'll get some good content out of that, if nothing else. But uh, let's start here. First, at home, we had a bit of Ole Miss news yesterday. They land a commitment late. I say late last night. It's like 8 o'clock. From, That's uh, late now, man. From four <laughs> That's <stars>. late for me. <laughs> yeah. Consensus four-star prospect wide receiver Braylon Brown. He's uh, from Hollywood, Florida. I've actually been fishing in Hollywood, Florida, so I know this kid's area very well. I went you one ca- time. You catch any uh, peacock bass? No, we uh, we caught. I think we caught drum. I, maybe I, that's not right. I can't. I actually don't even really remember. It was a spring. It was a last minute spring break trip in college where it was just like five or it was like six or seven of us and a buddy's parents had a house down there, uh, and so like. It was more so just to like go do something. We caught a spring training game on the way down. Uh, like the fishing was kind of the reason to go, but it was not the reason we were there. If that makes sense. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so so uh, honestly, the coolest part about the trip was uh, we his uncle was down there and he drove us through in this little boat. And that's like an incredibly wealthy area because you're getting down near Miami. So uh, like we saw a bunch of yachts. Like I saw Steven Spielberg's The Seven Seas, which is I think to this day the biggest non-cruise ship I've ever seen in my life. Uh, you know, barring some kind of like like a work freighter or something like that aside, it is the largest uh, I guess leisure boat I've ever seen in my life. It is enormous. But uh, anyway, the kids from Hollywood. That was a hell of a tangent there. Uh, the kids from Hollywood. And can- we got nothing else to talk about. Why not? <laughs> Consensus four-star prospect, uh, uh, excuse me, 6'2", 190 pounds, the exact same uh, body frame in terms of height and weight as the kid they signed last week, Adani Mitchell, who is the, is he Nashville area? It's somewhere in Tennessee. Yes, he is. He is, uh, this says straight up Nashville, um, and he goes to Cane Ridge, or whatever that's worth. So that's their second... Uh, wide receiver committed a week, second big bodied kind of long receiver, and both consensus four star prospects, and neither one of them from the state of Mississippi, which is interesting because w- last week when we had this convers- we were having this conversation when Mitchell signed, it was can they kind of replenish and keep this wide receiver you you nasty wideouts brand. It really was like we were talking about the brand, but it was less about the brand and more so can they continue recruiting at an elite level at receiver. And they're appearing to at least making a pretty uh, pretty solid effort uh, to do so with these two signings in the last week. It's kind of interesting we were talking about that last week. And then they add another one. And both out-of-state kids, which is interesting. Uh, I mean, neither one of these is like outside of Ole Miss's really normal recruiting footprint. Uh, like nowhere too crazy, but it just, when Kiffin got introduced as head coach, he kind of talked about, we're going to go all over the country to find kids. I don't believe you can recruit locally. Uh, I know a former coach that did that and ruffled a bunch of feathers. I think Kiffin will have a little bit different approach, but uh, he's kind of, I guess, sticking to his word on this one so far. Well, that and Kiffin has um, a, a couple of things. 
you would imagine, even though the storylines about him are that of irresponsibility, that considering where he's been and what he's done, uh, Lane Kiffin is far more equipped to take the heat from recruiting nationally than uh, the other coach you are referring to. He won't worry about what people are saying about him on Twitter. Like, he's not going to do the, um, hey, NCAA, please come at us. And everybody out there, send them uh, violations that we committed. He's not going to do that. He's more equipped to handle the heat that is national recruiting. And on top of that, the likelihood of him getting that kind of heat outside of like shitty jokes from Reddit college football, uh, he's got a brand. He's got a track record. He's recruited nationally for, what, a decade? It's a guy that his name resonates in the college football world. And so, yes, everybody, everybody in some capacity is cheating in recruiting, but you're not going to get near as much criticism when Lane Kiffin does it. In fact, you may not even get it at all, really, in comparison to what you got under Hugh Freeze because he's an established coach. He's been there. He's done that. He's recruited nationally at multiple different stops. He's got a name. And so when Lane Kiffin goes to Florida and nails a four-star recruit, the the narrative is not, oh, how do you pull that off? It's, well, there's Lane Kiffin. Yeah, you left out the best part, though. Please, uh, Otherwise, please do not slander these young men and their families. Uh, <laughs> that, that was maybe my favorite part of the whole tweet. God, what a time. 20, was it 2013, I guess that was? or I guess it was the 20... Yeah, was 2013. 2013 class, yeah. Yeah, just... Which is when you should have just shut the hell up and let people talk. But anyway, I'm sure that's been uh, talked ad nauseum. The the great thing about him getting these two commits is now he can put the full court press on two kids from the state of Mississippi. So obviously he said it and he's showing it to you that they don't really care about where the kids come from. They care about getting kids that can help them win football games. But when you look at the state of Mississippi, there's two uncommitted four-star wide receivers in the state, one in South Haven, one in Kosciuszko, both four-star wideouts, uh, both big-bodied kids, too, if you believe their listing on their recruiting profiles. So he's got these two kids from out of state, really good national recruiting job, and then if he can tie down one of these two or both of these kids at home, that is a wide receiver class that that has depth, that has local talent, that has national talent. It's the perfect storm. Uh, yes, it's just one position, but... Now that he secured the bag on these two guys, now he can go full court press on two dudes in his backyard. Yep, kid has a pretty impressive offer sheet. He uh, he chose Ole Miss over looks. I mean, he had offers from A and M, Miami, Georgia, Virginia Tech, Penn State. I mean, kind of a, a wide Wisconsin wide widespread. You kind of your typical blue chip kid with a with a ton of offers. Uh, you know. These are two just blue chip wide receivers that Ole Miss got from you know schools that kind of generally fish in deeper waters than them. I mean, there's really no other way to say it. And it's not like like this isn't like the this isn't the uh, the classic 2013 signing day thing where it's all these kids are coming and it's just a tidal wave and everyone's like, what the hell is Ole Miss doing? I'll never forget that tweet from uh, someone who covered the Heat uh, back in 2013 who said Ole Miss. Uh, it was National Signing Day morning. He said Ole Miss is the talk of the uh, the Miami Heat locker room this morning, and that's like peak Wade Bosch and uh, LeBron James. But yeah, I mean, just uh, you know, fifth. I think what fifth commitment if you count the kicker from Oxford in the 2021 class. But uh, it's it'll be interesting to kind of see how they uh, how they kind of continue to balance the in-state, out-of-state thing. I, again, like you said, I don't think he cares where these kids come from. He's going to go try to find the best players 
in the country. So uh, 6'2", he's listed at 190 on 247. I read somewhere else last night that he's at 280, whatever. But long Yeah, kid. he listed at 180 on Rivals. But as, as you said, I think it was two shows ago, um, they're going to need to put on some weight because every wide receiver is going to need to put on some weight. Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting because, like, I, I don't know how, like, if I were Elaine Kiffin right now, I don't know how I would feel about the current stable of receivers that are actually in my program. I don't think feeling great would be an accurate way uh, to describe how he feels about it. But there's some interesting pieces. You know, we talked about it last week. Jonathan Mingo, Dontario Drummond, even though Drummond's only got Juco kid. He's only got another year left, if I'm not mistaking. I don't think he was a three three-year kid uh but you know a couple other pieces miles battle out of the transfer portal demarcus gregory haven't really seen a ton of him can he is he healthy like can he stay healthy like you've got some interesting pieces but you know outside of mingo these two kids like none of those kids are kind of your clear-cut blue chip four-star like undisputed recruits that other schools like georgia lsu you know uh miami whoever were going after so I don't. I guess I don't really know what I'm trying to say here. Like, how if you were Lane Kiffin right now, how would you currently assess what you have at wide receiver? One, it would be difficult. But like, what would your feelings be just on paper, not having seen these kids play a game? Um, that's a good question because as we talked about the last time, they got a four-star commit. I think the room is more talented than they've been able to show. But you don't know that for sure. So maybe cautious optimism. I mean, you've got a star in Elijah Moore. If used correctly, that kid can be a star. He's got, yes, he's he's small, but he's got the physical tools. He, he can run routes really well. Hands were a little inconsistent last year compared to the, the year prior. But the, the, the kid can be a star. So you've got a, a high-end wide receiver in him in a room that should be pretty damn talented cautious optimism I think of how good that group can be I mean it's one that on paper if you look at recruiting profiles and stuff like that should be a talented group yeah you were just kind of I mean I've talked about this over and over again if you listen to the show but it's just like you just kind of got robbed of seeing what really hardly any of these kids were because of the way that offense was run last year and like who they had playing quarterback and just it, it it's it, like every time I go back and I think about like the Ole Miss on the offensive side of the ball last year, I don't know if any game sums it up other than the uh, more or more perfectly than that Auburn game where you're hanging around against a team you shouldn't be in the game with. Your defense is playing its ass off. Auburn's kind of letting you in the game, uh, letting you hang around, and you just couldn't do absolutely anything offensively. Like they, I mean that that to me out of the 12, 13 games they played as a viewer. Like if I if I were like actively like trying to like will Ole Miss to win or I'm watching on TV as an Ole Miss fan, that would have been the game that would have frustrated me the most. Is there another one I'm missing? Like that game just kind of summed up what Ole Miss was offensively in 2019. Which one, A and M or Auburn? Because they were both pretty god awful. Oh, Auburn. The game at Auburn is the one I distinctly remember because they they were in the game, in the game, in the game, in the game, and literally just couldn't do anything. And maybe I'm biased because I heard Rich Rod just yelling cuss word combinations that I'd never heard of at no particular person through a concrete wall uh, next to the locker room after the game. But that game seemed to be the most frustrating. Yeah. What, this is probably a question you can't answer. 
But did Rich Rodriguez have full autonomy of the offense? I mean, I think. It's mind-blowing how he let that happen then. I've said that like 10 times on this podcast. I don't care. You saw it even at Arizona where his tenure didn't go all that well and then it ended in scandal. But he had a quarterback throw for 4,000 yards. I mean, it's not like he was just beholden to the Pat White era just running the football exclusively without an intricate passing game. He showed you at other places that that was in his arsenal. I, I and just I, I'm mystified that that was able to occur with a veteran like him. Actually, I'll take that back to some degree. Maybe autonomy over the scheme, but in terms of who was playing quarterback, uh, probably a little bit of pushback. Probably a better way to dub that. Like, Because when you said full control of the offense, I'm sitting here thinking of Hugh Freeze hiring Phil Longo to be the fall guy, knowing right. it's going to fail so he can take back over four games in and everyone dubs him a hero. Uh, and he's the smartest guy in the room because he always had to be. So, I don't know. Probably f- from everything I heard, and I could be wrong on this, I'm I'm not – Speaking in absolutes here, but full autonomy over the scheme, but in terms of uh, personnel and who was playing where, namely quarterback, uh, I would bet there was a wee bit of uh, uh, pushback or just uncertainty or collaboration, whatever you want to say. It, it wasn't one guy making the call. Yeah, that makes the most sense. Still complete so, malpractice, but that's a conversation for three weeks ago. Yeah, yeah that they were... Uh, they were bad. That was real bad. And it kind of uh, it kind of put a damper. I don't know. Maybe it personified it. Maybe it highlighted it even more. I can't decide. Did it put a damper or did it just even further justify uh, the job Mike McIntyre did with that defense? That's another thing that I don't understand. And until he fails criticizing Kiffin's coaching decisions, I think it's kind of a, a dumb thing to do because we don't know if DJ Durkin's going to work out. I mean, we don't know. I know it was used on the recruiting trail, but to what success, I don't know. But his past at Maryland was used against Ole Miss in recruiting, and it's going to be forever. Um, and newsflash, everybody finds a way to negative recruit against anybody always. So if it wasn't Durkin, they would have found something else. And I'm Ole Miss's history has not given uh, them any reason not to negatively recruit against the school. Like, there are ways... So until it doesn't work, or if it doesn't work, being critical is, I mean, like Stephen A. Smith type stuff. However, in his voice, that's an interesting decision to me, to move on from McIntyre. Because the job he did a year ago was excellent, and he didn't have any baggage that came with him. You can't really negatively recruit against him as much as you could uh, DJ Durkin. And the job he did, as you highlighted, was exceptional considering the personnel last year. So moving on from him is, that's one of the things I'm, uh, when you look back at Lane Kiffin's tenure at Ole Miss, however long it lasts, that's a decision that you'll think about, is was the negative worth what he brings to the table? And we won't find out until the season starts, but that's definitely a question that you got to circle when you look back at his time here. Yeah, I see what you're saying, and I don't even really disagree, but his whole thing from the get-go was, I'm going to build my own staff nationally that's going to recruit its ass off. And as good of a job as Mac did, he's kind of known for doing a lot with a little and far from 
being known as a dynamic recruiter, which is yeah. probably kind of why he didn't give him much of a second look, even though you remember it was actually originally reported that McIntyre was going to be retained and that didn't end up being the case. I'm not sure actually how much uh, truth was in that, but that's neither here nor there, not really the point. But yeah, I, it'll be interesting. And then, like I mentioned from the headlines on Monday show, the hypothetical headlines from the spring game, the uh, – the co-defensive coordinator thing is going to be fascinating to follow this this year just because, you know, when shit hits the fan and things go wrong, like, someone's got to shoulder the blame, right? Like, it's not going to be, like, a joint thing. Like, it, it, like if something's not working and they're not playing well, like, like, like we don't talk – I guess it'll be interesting because we, we aren't going to really get to talk to coordinators either, which is another wild piece of this. But, like, I, I'm just interested to see, like – who kind of falls on the sword, who who kind of steps up in the face of criticism between those two if things go poorly. Or if the other way, if things are going well, who's going to get the credit? Right, that's a good point. I I, I know you don't really care, like from the media side, because you'll be able to do your job one way or the other. But the not letting coordinators speak to the media thing. I would like to talk to coordinators, just put it down there for the record. I'm not going to throw a fit about it, but I would I would prefer to talk to the coordinators. Especially with Lane, who just doesn't give you a whole lot. And there's no reason for him to, but his press conference interviews are not like what Mike Leach is. Lane Kiffin is not um, interesting because he gives good press conferences. He gives pretty bad ones, actually. I mean, it's very milk toast. It's just kind of he answers the questions in a very, I mean, he, you know, he talks really, really quietly and... Yeah, I mean, and just doesn't give you anything. So, I would like to hear from those guys, just because you're not going to hear much from the head coach. But why do you? What's the motivation behind not letting the coordinators talk to the media? I mean, they're adult men; they're not going to say anything stupid. Nick Nick Saban School of Media, and you know, I think Kevin don't been give burned. them anything ever. <laughs> yeah, and then I think Kevin's been burned just so many times, both locally on the national level. It's almost like. You can tell you're talking to a guy that's been scarred by some of it, but then he's kind of made friends with a couple people on the national level at this point. Uh, you know, he went on Paul Feinbaum and kind of joked around about beef they had in the past, but that's kind of evidence that it was it was there. I mean, was there a more scrutinized coach from 2000 and whatever when he coached the Raiders through his the end of his like flame out at USC in the country than Lane Kiffin? I, I'd I'd be hard pressed to find one. Absent of just some major scandal, obviously, but yeah, I don't know. It's going to be, well, an and he's got year. the nickname too, and all the rumors uh, around Tuscaloosa. I mean, just uh, the guy can't catch a break, man. And it's—I well, mean, he was nothing happened quietly with Kiffin either. No. Like he couldn't just leave Tennessee for USC. He kind of left in the dark of the night. You know, you had people. Weren't they like burning couches and stuff in the street? I know that's a West Virginia thing, but Tennessee people were pretty pissed about that. And then well, he gets fired explain at USC. that to me, Rippy. And I know football fans are crazy, but he was there for a year. And it's not like he's a Tennessee alum and they, they just they love him so much and felt betrayed. He was there for a season. They won seven games. I mean, why are you like painting the rock the way you did and riding in the streets and, I mean, threatening his family and all that crap when he left you after one season for a better job? You can be mad. You can hate him. But to have that kind of public display of whatever that was, that that doesn't make any sense to me. Well, you got to put it, like I guess, kind of contextualize it. And this is very vaguely because this is a long time ago. 
for me as well. But like, he just come off the NFL thing. Like, he was a little bit more loud and boisterous back then. He comes in as kind of this national guy. He was still kind of Pete Carroll's guy from the national title runs. He comes in in that opening press conference and talks about like singing Rocky Top all night after they beat Florida or whatever that line he had was. They have a pretty decent season. I think they were what like seven and six. And then all seven and six, and I think it was seven and five, and they lost the bowl game. Well, like Tennessee sucked before that. So imagine in 2012, if Hugh Freeze had gone to the Birmingham Bowl and they win that Birmingham Bowl, and then all of a sudden you wake up one morning and he is uh, bolted for some Pac-12 job. I don't think people would behave that around here would behave well. Uh, Maybe I'm selling them short, but (laughs) just a hunch. So like I get it. Like I get where that like where that's coming from. But yeah, I don't know. It's Interesting times in Kiffin's first uh, first couple of years. But uh, take a break real quick to remind you. The podcast brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. The last two times I've read this ad, I've looked out my window and it's been perfectly sunny. That is not the case. It is raining, but we do have sunny days ahead. No better way to uh, quarantine, social distance, whatever you want to call it, than just throwing something on the grill in your backyard and relaxing. Greg and the team at LB's can hook you up with all kinds of delicious cuts of meat. They've got steaks, custom cut sausages. The ribeye sausage is awesome. I went a couple weeks ago and got the, uh, I think I got the Keith Carter special. The uh, crab stuffed mushrooms, got some meatloaf as well. It was awesome. Greg's got something for you over there. LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Absolutely the best place to get meat. Uh, Anyway, that kind of just. Wrapping up on the Ole Miss on the recruiting front, like we mentioned, five uh, commitments in the 2021 class. Uh, I wonder how recruiting is affected by this whole thing. Like, like can't I take wonder, visits. Yeah, exactly. Like, I wonder, like, but like in, in terms of like, but I'm thinking like the crunch time recruiting when everyone starts paying attention again, like kind of near signing day. How does that affect this? Like oh, how do, how does this affect recruiting? Like, do you see it affecting it at all? Maybe hell, maybe it doesn't at all. Um, that's a really good question. When honestly, you're limiting visits. Like, what does this look like? What does signing day look like in 2021? Or dis? Or I guess it would technically be December 2020 is kind of the the date that's now got all right. the. Uh, the this might be a there. dumb question, but um, there's no such thing as dumb questions. Just dumb people. So maybe I'm a dumb person. Do you think the hmm, if football season gets pushed back some? Yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at. And the prospects can't take official visits on game day. Do you think that helps Ole Miss some with some national players? And here's why I ask that. Because Oxford's a great place. I loved my time in college. Absolutely loved it. Had a blast. It's a, it's a really cool town. Grove is cool. It's really cool. Especially for an 18-year-old kid, they love it. Official visits go well when you, you take a kid to Ole Miss. But when it's football day and they go from Oxford to Baton Rouge to Tuscaloosa, the game day aspect of Ole Miss is a far distant third to those two. The stadiums are nicer at the other two places, bigger, louder, fans are more into it, locker rooms are nicer, newer. Do you think that if they have to push back the season, it helps Ole Miss? Because Alabama doesn't get the visit bump anymore. LSU doesn't get the visit bump anymore. Ole Miss, like in January, that's a great 
I mean, they, they kill it when they have official visitors in January. Because it's a, a, a good, really cool place to go to school. Really fun town. But when you're trying to compete nationally for kids that are considering LSU and Alabama, even if it's just minor, do you think it helps if they can't visit the three stadiums on game day before they make a decision? Just this one time, obviously. I have no idea because, like, if you the season, how is that going to work though? Because if the season is pushed back from the spring, you're going to have these kids sign out of high school, and then they're going to like wait a full football season and then come the next one. Because if you have a spring season, then you can't have another one start in the fall, right? Like, there's so right. much unknown here; it's almost. Well, a, I asked a question that I don't even think is going to happen anyway. I don't think they're starting in in February. I, well, I, I truly don't because you can't have two two full football seasons in one year. You cannot do that. It's not possible. I don't know what they're going to do. And maybe they yeah. just have to do it. But I don't think you can start a season in February and then start a season in August. I don't think you can do it. Well, that's just the part of this that no one's ever been able to answer for me is that when they were like, yeah, college football get pushed back in the spring. It's like, can you actually do that? Because, like, like, the design of the sport and how important it is to other sports, like, you can't have that permanently sit in the spring. Like, this is not going to be a permanent change. So how would you phase it back? And, like, we're getting on a tangent here. I don't – it doesn't really matter. But, like, like how, aside from how does that affect recruiting, I just don't get it. I, like, no one's been ever to been ever, ever able to been to explain that to me when, like, yeah, they'll maybe just play the season in the spring. It's like, well, what about after that? Like, what do you do? Like, right. No, so no. It's, it's got to affect the recruiting period somehow is all I was going to say. And, like, when kids can sign and when they can't, I would think. Yeah, I don't know, man. I, I don't know. I mean, what are you telling these kids? How do you recruit these kids? What if, if football season doesn't start right away, do you keep the signing period in December? Because what if these kids are still playing their senior season on National Signing Day? I mean, that, that, yeah, as I say, that's another element of this. You you talk about the college level. When is high school football starting? Like, I imagine they start earlier. They start weeks earlier than college in some cases. Yeah, I, I don't know. This is giving me a headache to think about, but I don't know. Just something to ponder down the road because if you have an altered football season in terms of like when it starts and when it ends, I assume that's going to affect recruiting and when kids can sign and visit and all of that. But anyway, uh, maybe we can just hope that everything starts on time and that may be wishful thinking at this point. But uh, boy, what a mess if it doesn't because <laughs> – because college football screwed, man. We talked about it on the radio show yesterday. Uh, it's the NFL, like I said earlier, the NFL, I think, is starting in September. Unless they are told you cannot have even people who have all tested negative for coronavirus on a football field at the same time. Unless they are told, ex- especially, you cannot do that. I think they're starting as scheduled. That's just my guess. It's, my, it's a complete guess. But I think the NFL... Uh, would completely absorb any kind of criticism or tone-deaf columns that some idiot sports writer would write. Uh, You would absorb that. The league is so incredibly popular, it's too big to fail. The draft tomorrow night is going to have 15 million people watch it. The freaking draft. They don't have to abide by everybody else's rules. I'm telling you, they don't. The NFL is going to start in September. The NBA, I think, is going to come back at some point. Even if it doesn't, Major League Baseball is going to play without fans at some point. All of these pro sports can do this. College football cannot. Unless the campus is open for students, they're not playing. It's a very different dynamic from the NFL to college. 
Yeah, I generally agree. I could see the NFL pushing back to October 1 if it's like close and they're like, mate, like you're kind of close to being able to start having gatherings again and uh, and things like that. I could see them pushing back a month, but them drastically altering their season. I uh, I agree. I don't think they'll they'll drastically alter that as well. But like you could you could play a pretty normal NFL season starting a month later, just because uh, that's not even really a full month because they start the weekend after Labor Day. So that'd be like a three week start. So. I could see him doing it three weeks or a month, but outside of that, yeah, generally. But yeah, college football doesn't have that luxury because, like, I mean, a delayed start would make sense if if it's like, hey, start a month later and you can have fans back, then yeah, they would do it. But if it's hey, you can start a month later, but we're still not sure if you're having fans back, I don't think they go for that. Yeah, I agree. So I I don't know what uh what an interesting time and what an interesting. Lots of on the table. These next uh, couple months and how this thing goes and uh, is going to be going to be pretty huge because college football, like you mentioned, didn't have that luxury. Because if there's no school, like there's no there's no college sports and there's or no college football. There's no college football. There's really some really other college sports. I mean, football pays for everything. We're not saying anything profound or new here, but yeah, I don't know. It is but- funny to see uh, people discover that in fact college football players are more valuable than just their scholarship because they literally pay for everything. It's funny to see people finally learn that. Like, how can they be cutting men's soccer? Well, it's because football funds it. That That's how. Yeah, and as we mentioned on the radio show yesterday, I mean, there's a, there's some sports that have, like, they've been looking for, like, these schools that sa- sponsor a ton of sports, like your Cal Berkeley's of the world that have, like, 33 or Stanford and all that, and even other schools like that, there have been, like, these a- athletic departments have been kind of probably kicking the tires on some of these sports in terms of, like, cutting them, and this is, this coronavirus and this pandemic are giving them uh, a fairly legitimate reason to actually pull the trigger on doing that. So, I mean, men- Cincinnati men's soccer was kind of the first domino to fall uh, it getting cut last week, but I don't think you've seen the last of that either. Oh, no, no. I think I, this is an opportunity for a lot of places to cut some dead weight and have an excuse for it. Yep, pretty much. And uh, it's going to happen. It's just how uh, how dramatic does it get and how, how bad does it get? Hopefully not, not too bad, but Yeah, because anyway. I, I do want – you know, I, I hate to see Cincinnati men's soccer get cut because that's what? what what's on a men's soccer team? 25 guys? Uh, that's 25 guys with, without uh, a sport to play, and, and they're honoring their scholarships, but that's 25 guys that had their lives destroyed because they were college soccer players. It's what they did, and it sucks to see, but, I mean, that's just kind of the reality now is schools are are starting to realize that, you know, we don't need 30 scholarship sports we need um two football and basketball because they make money and then all of the women's sports to balance the expenses to satisfy title nine and that's about it it's what we need and other than that you're just a waste of money to us yeah so anyway on the sports side of things and on the professional side of things rob gronkowski has signed with the new england excuse me with the tampa bay bucks as Tom Brady gets his old New England gang back together, I doubt Julian Edelman is following. But uh, it, it was announced yesterday. It was kind of floated out there a couple weeks ago as like uh, pretty much a joke, like a couple of parody accounts that or troll accounts that really just enjoy like uh, people falling for things and taking the bait, put it out there. But it actually happened yesterday. 
Uh, Rob Gronkowski kind of had been letting it float out there that he would come back to the NFL if he could play with Tom Brady and the Patriots. He was under contract with New England for one more year. And so basically him coming back was contingent upon the Patriots being willing to trade him. Belichick trades Gronk and a seventh round pick for a fourth round pick. So he's got one year left on his deal. What is he going to make like 10 to 12 million? I think I saw somewhere in there. And this is interesting because I mean, it's it, arguably the greatest tight end to ever play football. One of the ever, I mean, one of the greatest who, uh, you know, spent a year out of football, and now he's coming back to play with Tom Brady for presumably one year. I don't know how much long, much longer Gronk envisions playing, but this is a this is a fascinating story developing in Tampa. Oh, for sure. And by the way, apparently Nick Saban's on uh, the Dan Patrick Show right now and said, "quote." So in an evolution from the Wall Street Journal story yesterday, he said the the medical people made that decision. That was a medical decision, not an organizational one. We wanted to take Drew Brees. He's the first guy we brought in. It's the same scenario with Tua. So that's Nick Saban on Dan Patrick. Just popped into my timeline. But it's a big deal, man. Rob Gronkowski, injury history aside, I mean, is there a tight end that is more diverse in skill than Gronk? Because he's not just a pass catcher. I mean, I saw some videos yesterday of people cutting up him blocking against the best defensive lineman in the NFL. Like Ndamukong Sue dominated him. I, I saw a handful of videos of him one-on-one against freaking Ndamukong Sue, and Rob Gronkowski shuts him down. I mean, he can do it all. He's, I mean, if not the most complete tight end in the history of the game, he's up there. And he's still in his age prime. He's not as old as people think he is. I know he retired early and did the wrestling thing, and people just know his name and have known it forever. He's not that old. So he's a guy that physically should still be near his peak, maybe on the back end of it, and he can do it all. Him in Tampa is a huge deal, not just because it's Brady and the boys back, but because Tampa, a team that should have been a playoff team a year ago if they had competence at quarterback, just added the most complete tight end, one of the most complete tight ends in the history of the game to complement that receiver core. Yeah, and it's going to be fascinating to kind of watch it play. I mean, this this whole thing is fascinating to me just because Gronk was not your like Gronk was kind of an atypical Patriot in terms. He was kind of loose, a kind of goofy personality, and the most rigid, uh, you know, all business the Patriot way system that you've kind of ever seen in American sports. And he thrived in it, and that's what kind of helped make him. But you could tell, like, he was worn down by the injuries. You could tell he was kind of probably worn down by, you know, just the scrutiny and being a Patriot and everything that comes with that and playing in Belichick's system. And, like, and now he and Brady, it's almost like they're having their, it's almost like they're having, like, a, not a reunion, but they've, like, gone down south, and now it seems like they're going to kind of have a little bit more fun playing football, even if it's just for a year or two. It's like coasting through your last semester of high school or whatever. I mean, obviously, they're not, like, coasting, but it just seems like like I think you're going to see a different side of both of them in, in Tampa that you maybe wouldn't necessarily get in kind of the buttoned-up culture that is New England. Like, can you imagine Gronk in Tampa and playing with that pirate ship and all of that and you know <laughs> just wearing those goofy ass uniforms it's going to be fascinating stuff like i'm i'm, I'm fascinated to watch how this plays out but it, it I think fits you're him see a more side than it does brady yeah it really does it uh it, it this this uh this does fit 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 gronk to a t but it's going to be fascinating i think you might see a little more personality from both of them not that gronk is short on personality but like 
I just wonder if there's almost a stick it to Belichick element to this, uh, just because they've been kind of under. Because obviously the breakup between Brady and Belichick, well, they always had an amicable working relationship. Like, I mean, there's some animosity there in terms of him just like not wanting to pay Tom and thinking he's done and all of that. And then, you know, they tried to trade. You know, there's the report that they tried to trade Gronk to Detroit two years ago, and Gronk basically was like, no, I'll retire before I play for anyone other than Brady. So it's the classic Belichick trying to shit, like cut two players off, basically, you know, one year early instead of one year too late. That's what he's known for. And now you have these two guys who are arguably the two most famous pieces of this dynasty. That may not be completely fair in Gronk's case, but close. And now they're kind of going down to New England, down to Tampa in a whole new setting. And uh, I don't know. It's just going to be fascinating. But they've got one hell of a talented uh, skill position. And just even at tight end, I mean, you're adding him to a roster that already has O.J. Howard and Cameron Brait. They're, uh, he's going to have weapons to throw to. That will not be the talking point when discussing Tom Brady this year. Can that team make a Super Bowl? I mean, hell, I saw this morning that they have better Super Bowl odds now than the Saints. Do they really? I'm about to look that up to make sure. Uh, Let's see. As of this morning, they are tied with – they both are plus 1,000 to win the Super Bowl. So they have even odds with the Saints. Uh, So what I'm looking at on Vegas Insider has them way up there. Close enough. I mean, it just depends on the book. It's Chiefs, Ravens, Chiefs at four to one, Ravens thirteen to two, San Fran seven to one, New Orleans eleven and eleven to one, Tampa Bay twelve to one. Yeah, I mean the one I have it has them at the exact same, but generally the same thing. Those five teams are your overwhelming favorites to uh, win the Super Bowl, but not overwhelming, but your 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 five favorites to win the Super Bowl, which is kind of fascinating because that, that division is going to be something. I mean, you, you've got Atlanta, who you kind of just waiting on to actually kind of ever bounce back from what is now seems like a three-year-old Super Bowl hangover. Well, uh, considering their jerseys, they haven't bounced back from that Super Bowl hangover just yet. you got Teddy Bridgewater in uh, – shoot, what do I try? you got Teddy Bridgewater – in Carolina, like what a fascinating division. But yeah, it. I mean, they're a, I mean, Vegas considers them a legit top five Super Bowl contender at this point after the signing of Rob Gronkowski. I mean, they were a playoff team last year if their quarterback just doesn't throw 30 interceptions. So, yeah, they were. And you've got a good coach who's known for working with veteran quarterbacks. Bruce Arians made an AFC championship game with Carson Palmer. Uh, that was actually, I believe, Cam's MVP year in 15. Uh, so, I don't know. This is going to be fascinating to watch play out. I hope we get to watch it all play out with fans in the stands and uh, and it being on time. But uh, I definitely did not see this coming. I did not see, particularly after the kind of Belichick-Brady, uh, kind of the Patriots dynasty uh, really just like not being anymore, I did not see Gronk coming back to football. But uh, what a uh, what a wild week of NFL news. I saw it this morning. I was just checking the time, like checking through the news to kind of see if it, anything significant happened. I saw that Percy Harvin is like now wanting to come back to the NFL after three years off. I mean, I, I don't quite understand that one. Percy Harvey, not Harvin. Come on. Oh, now. Harvey. Excuse me. Excuse me. Percy <laughs> Harvey. Percy Harvin would have been even, even stranger, but. No, it is I've, Percy Harvin. Uh, man, you haven't been with us long enough. We used to play on the radio show that, that video of. Uh, 
now in prison. Uh, I think Congresswoman Corinne Brown, uh, who was after Florida won the national championship, she uh, used her time on the floor to. Oh gosh, I got to play this for you. I, I can't. You've got to. You have not been with us long enough. We used to play this all the time. I can't believe you haven't seen this video. And they put subtitles underneath it because, uh, anyway, here you go. Uh, this is Corinne Brown. She's in prison now. Gentlewoman from Florida. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I rise today to congratulate my University of Florida football team for winning its second NCAA BS, BCS championship bowl game in the last three seasons. Go Gator. Go Gator. Oh, it's a bad video. Never mind. It's edited to. I'll send you the right one. This is what happens when we do live podcasting. But they put subtitles underneath it that say exactly what she's saying. So she says Coach Irving Myers and Percy Harvey and stuff like that. So anyway, sorry. Percy Harvin has only been out of the NFL for three years. That's it. I would have guessed like at least a half decade, maybe more. I guess he had a little bit of a run with the Seahawks there at the end. But uh, I guess what I don't understand about this, well, he's only 31. I mean, no, he was he was with the Bills as recently as 2015 and 2016. What was your favorite moment as his Bills career? My favorite moment was that I don't remember it. I don't remember that happening. That is, uh, He's only 31 <laughs> years old, though. I just, uh, like, is there a, I guess what I'm asking, is there a market for Percy Harvin to be back in the NFL? I mean, somebody would take him, wouldn't they? I mean, I don't know. He's a 31-year-old receiver. They got kind of run out of football anyway. But I don't know. I found and, that interesting and, as well. I wonder if it was directly tied to the fact that Gronk is coming back. Like he, like he saw that and thought, hey, I could do that too. <laughs> Maybe so, but man, he died. I guess he just kind of seems older than he was, but uh, those Florida teams were – we're pretty damn good. But anyway, I don't know. Maybe a team will take a flyer on him, but just kind of announcing that you want to return is always a bold move without actually having any uh, notable suitors. But uh, did we miss anything else today? I think that was about all we had, kind of a light, light news day. We'll have the NFL draft starting tomorrow evening, uh, which will definitely be – I'm fascinated to watch this draft from a number of different standpoints. Obviously, you have the – Typical storylines of, you know, who's going to go where, which team wants a quarterback, which team doesn't want a quarterback, like where all these guys fall. Who's the Whoever the third quarterback taken is in this draft is going to be the most interesting one because if, like, Tua or Herbert is going to fall, and it seems more and more like it's going to be Tua because of the injury thing. But even just aside from those storylines, the logistics of the draft and how it's going to work virtually, and can they actually pull this off with uh, – I say without embarrassing themselves, but like it's not even really embarrassing because this is like something they've had to just put together on the fly. Can they put this together without some sort of major technical uh, catastrophe? I think it's going to happen, which is crazy because doesn't Major League Baseball do this every year? Uh. Yeah, kind of. I guess they're, I mean, they're, they're all in a remote location, aren't they? they? They don't have one central location where all the teams show up to draft people. Aren't they all at they're home, all, basically? They're, they're, no, well, they're all, they're all at the ballpark. Like, they're right. all in a gigantic war room. I mean, it's really not much different than the NFL. Like, you're all in a gigantic war room. 
in your facility and like calling in the picks and all that. You just don't have a huge audience like actually live at the draft, I guess, is the only really major difference in baseball. Yeah, because I, I'm telling you, man. So the Jordan documentary, what was it? 6.3 million people watched it. The NFL draft will at least double it, which is crazy to think about because, I mean, the Jordan documentary is by far, not even close, uh, the most watched ESPN documentary of all time. Uh, it, like by almost 3 million people. And it will get doubled up by the NFL draft. Yeah, I mean, it's because there's nothing else on, like, just the cheer. I mean, the NFL draft is obviously already one of the most popular sporting events on earth because the NFL is so big, but now it's just kind of personified because there's nothing else on. Like, it's all virtual. It kind of sucks that these kids are robbed of kind of the in-day draft. The top kids that were going to be invited to the draft are robbed of this in-day draft experience type of thing. But, yeah, this is uh, this is going to be a fascinating draft. And it's, uh, was it 7 tomorrow night? I think so, yeah, and uh, I'll be watching every second of it, man. I, I can't wait. It's just something, something other than when can we come back, or something other than even a caveat. I mean, I guess we had it with Ole Miss getting a wide receiver and recruiting, but every other sports news for a while has been, oh, UConn's president says something stupid, here's his apology. But everybody ran the headline that he said that the season's not happening. All that stuff is just so exhausting, and now we finally get just sports news without a caveat. Just here's the draft. They're going to play a season eventually, but here's a draft. And we don't have to talk about coronavirus. I hope they don't mention it much on the broadcast. We can just enjoy a sports story for a day. Yep, I am definitely in agreement with that. But I think that's about all we had for today. We'll have, a uh, obviously, a pretty wild draft recap show on Friday, in addition to Mailbag Friday. So get in your Mailbag Friday question to us. Tweet me, text me, uh, email us, whatever, however you want to get your Mailbag Friday questions and participate in the People's Quarantine. Should have plenty of content after a crazy NFL draft on Thursday night. I'm looking forward to it. Before we get out of here, I'll remind you one more time, no better time to support local businesses than during a global pandemic. Go see Greg LB's University Avenue across from Kroger, the best place in Mississippi to get meat. Uh, it's grilling season. We've got some good weather days. There's nothing on TV. Get outside, throw a steak on the grill, whatever you prefer, and eat well as we all try to get through this together. Greg can definitely help you out with that. They've got steaks, custom cuts, sausages, uh daily specials he's got some ready-made dishes to go if you need to feed a, a group of people and want to pop something in the oven real quick uh the meatloaf is fantastic had it the other weekend but uh go see greg lb's university avenue across from kroger borky and i will be on the radio this afternoon 3 to 6 p.m sports talk mississippi and then we will be back at it for a draft reaction show and mailbag friday so until then thanks for tuning in and we'll see you on friday Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.